help from the Holy Spirit to understand it rightly, but this is one of those passages that is somewhat peculiar. It's a discourse by Jesus from some Jewish to some Jewish people within Jerusalem. And we're just going to need to help, help from the Holy Spirit to have eyes to see and ears to hear. So let's just pray and trust that he will give. Father, we're thankful for your word. Thank you that you have not left us without a word. That there's never a moment in any day, in any situation, where we can say that you're being silent. Because you have not been silent. You have spoken. And we get to hear from you. And God, help us. Thank you that you send the still, small voice. Holy Spirit, thank you that you come and nudge and lead and direct. But we're thankful for the inerrant, word-for-word inspired Bible that's in front of us. We thank you for your word. That we can trust what you have to say. And when opinions abound in our world, when we don't have an anchor to find truth out there, here, in these pages, we have an anchor for our soul. We can trust what truth is. We can get bearings here. We can grab some handles. We can get a firm foundation. We can just say, God, what do you have to say? Because what you have to say is right. And so God, change me and mold me according to what you have to say. Help us to understand this morning. Holy Spirit, I trust that you're going to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What do we do when Jesus' words and actions go against our sensibilities? There have been repeated themes through the Gospel of John where we've looked at Jesus and he's done some things and said some things that masses of people did not like. I mean, thousands upon thousands. He preaches to the crowd when he feeds the 5,000, and up to 20,000 people upon him preaching leave him. And only 12 remained. Only 12 remained of this massive crowd as soon as he started opening his mouth and speaking to them. There's another theme in John 8. This this image in John 8, we're going to get people who don't like what he has to say. What do we do? How do we react to Jesus' words and actions? Well, there's two primary ways this happens. Either one, we accuse Jesus of either being mean or harsh or blasphemous or simply flat out wrong, like the people in the Bible do. They just accuse him of being a liar They accuse him of being filled with a demon. They don't like what he has to say, a blasphemer. They end up killing him because of that. Or, by God's grace, we humbly recognize that what Jesus says and what Jesus does, well, that's right. That's just simply right. And if we don't like it, well, it's not our prerogative. Who cares if we like it or not? What he says or what he does is right. So if we ever feel uncomfortable with Jesus, it's not Jesus' fault. It really isn't. It's a limitation upon our eyes or upon our ears to hear and see the truth. So if we will listen and submit to him rather than kind of plugging our ears and ignoring him, we will, this morning, be changed for the better. In John 8, we get some repeated themes. Jesus is the light of life. We hear the difference between true belief and false belief. We're going to point to that more clearly here in a minute. We're going to see people accuse Jesus of being a witness to himself. And he is going to appeal 
to other witnesses, primarily his father, and saying, I'm not here declaring these things about myself alone, but the father also bears witness with the things that I'm saying. Jesus talks about his father. He introduces again, like he did in John chapter 5, explicitly this father language as he's talking about his heavenly father. And Jesus declares himself to be God in this passage. But this passage, John 8, it's not very, it's not very clean. It's not easy to kind of wrap it up and put a bow on it, as other passages may be. I loved the TV show Lost. Really loved it. It's my favorite TV show of all time, in spite of season six. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Lost, it was really great, and then season six was very, very weird. It just didn't end the way most Lost fans wanted it to end. Uh, I've heard there was a TV show called The Sopranos years ago, and it had a terrible ending. Uh, people didn't like the ending. Many of us have movies that we love, majority of it, until the ending, and we just say, you know, that would be a great movie if the ending just wasn't so terrible. You know, it's just crushing, you know. John 8 is kind of like that, where you're going along and you're expecting things to turn for the better at the end, and then it just kind of ends and you're like, really? That's it? What's going on? I mean, we thought we were kind of going somewhere here, and we are going somewhere here, but it feels like that, where it's just like this letdown, because at the very end of his discourse, people pick up stones to kill Jesus. <laughs> but previously, 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 the same group of people who pick up stones to kill Jesus, it explicitly says that they believed in Jesus. So kind of midway through this discourse, you have a group of people who believe Jesus, and many of the people believed in Jesus. And then Jesus is going to turn to this subgroup of people and speak to them, those who had believed in Jesus. And the very same people who believed in him and kind of midway through this discourse are the very same people who pick up the stones to kill him. And so you're just kind of left with, what? what's going on here? And so, without any further ado, we get into... John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Jesus is a man with a plan. By the way, the sermon title today, if I haven't said it, is Jesus Picks a Fight. So here we go. Chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from and do not know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but it, I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one that bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said it to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. For if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. As with so many of Jesus' discourse in the Gospel of John, we could spend easily a sermon or five sermons on this particular conversation. 
But this, this conversation between Jesus and this group of Jewish people in Jerusalem goes from verse 12 all the way down to verse 59. And I want to keep this conversation as a whole here because I want, to, want you to see what's going on. And so I am going to tell you from the beginning, like I've said in other weeks, I'm going to miss a lot of content that's in these verses. So I want to challenge you to go back and just study this stuff out. Wrestle with this. A really good study to work through is about Jesus speaking about judgment. In chapter 5, he's told that all judgment in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then here, he's told, I judge no one. And so there are some things for you to personally struggle with and, and work through, okay? Now, in the end, there's an answer, a real clear answer. It's not a contradiction, but you can work through those things on your own. And I want you to do that. Wrestle with this stuff. Pray through. Ask the Holy Spirit to help. Get some concordances out. Get some commentaries out. Study the Bible. I'm going to tell you up front, I'm just going to miss some stuff. So hang in there with me. So I want to bullet point a few things in verses 12 to 20 for you. In verse 12, Jesus says to the group that he's talking to, if you'll follow me, you won't walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. If you follow me, if you walk with me, you're going to live life differently than if you don't follow me. If you just follow the law, if you just live according to what you think and what you feel, you will live differently than if you will follow me. If you'll follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. In verse 13, the Pharisees, they're baited by Jesus' words, and they respond. Well, you're bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true, Jesus. Apparently, this crowd may, may have been unique, or they may have just forgotten what happened in chapter 5, because Jesus lays out multiple proofs and witnesses about who he is. The Father, the works, the testimony of Scripture, the miracles, all these things testify to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. So they must have forgot, or maybe they weren't there, but they respond, you're bearing witness about yourself. In verse 18, Jesus comes back and he says, no, I'm not. It's not just me. My Father also bears witness with me. Verse 19, the Pharisees clearly show their thinking physical father because they ask, where is your Father? You see that in verse 19? Where is your Father? They're thinking, okay, who is this earthly Father you're talking about? They're not yet connecting the dots that he's talking about his heavenly Father. We see that later on where it says that, they don't know that he's talking about their heavenly father. We find that a little bit later. They did not understand he was speaking to them about the, about the father in verse 27. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus is saying my father also bears witness with me. And they're like, okay, where is he? Where's your dad? Let's go talk to him. Let's find out. Verse 18, Jesus explains, or excuse me, verse 19, Jesus tells them kind of the first offensive thing in this discourse. They will later on find out it's offensive. He says, you don't know me or my father. And then in verse 20, we get a subtle reminder of God's sovereignty that these people are subject to God's timing. Their actions, no one arrested them. Their actions were subject to God's timing. No one arrested them because this hour had not yet come. So the conversation begins to heat up. The conversation has started. Jesus has kind of set the hook. The bait's out there. Now the conversation has started. And now the conversation's about to heat up a little bit. It's about to get hot and spicy. Jesus is going to crank up the conversation. And they're going to turn into monsters. They really are. They're going to turn on him like crazy. So, here's what we're going to see. 20 to 31. Now, he said to them, again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Well, that's a lovely message, right? Where I'm going, you cannot come. 
So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son, Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as my Father had taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to them. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So, so Jesus, meek and mild, has a way of engaging with crowds. And as he kind of, you know, got them into this conversation, he turns to them and he just simply says, I'm going away, you're going to look for me, and you're going to die in your sin. Feel the gravity of that. Jewish people routinely going to feast after feast, adhering to the law of God. If anybody in this earth had claim to forgiveness of sins, it would be the Jewish people. And Jesus tells them, you're going to die in your sins. <laughs> Verse 27, we kind of still see that they're, they're foggy here. They're not seeing exactly what's going on. They didn't understand much of what Jesus was talking about as he was talking about the Heavenly Father. And Jesus, in verse 28, basically just tells them, hey, clarity's coming. You'll see that what I'm saying is true. When I'm lifted up, and through all of this, there are some people that begin to be angry, but there are other people in this conversation, even though they were just told twice, you're going to die in your sins unless you believe in me, there's people who believe. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And at this point, naturally, the, the movie ends well. The last season is really good. We can put a bow on it. Many people believed in Jesus. We can kind of throw our hands in the air and say, yes, that's what we want. We want people to believe in Jesus. Woohoo! Yes! Way to go! Even though they didn't understand everything, we've already talked about that this morning, we don't have to understand everything. They believed. Good deal. After all, isn't this the point of the Gospel of John? Many other things I have, could declare to you. Not, now, Jesus did many other things and signs in the presence of the disciples. They're not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that the point that people would believe? So now you have in this group, the big group, and then you have many, a subgroup, many who believed in Jesus, and they're just still continuing to, to listen to him talk. But I want us to remember, I want us to remember John chapter 2, and I'll just read this for you real quick. In John chapter 2, we're told something quite frightening, to be honest. We find out that there is a thing called false belief, true belief and false belief. In John 2, at the end, we're told this, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed. So the same thing, many believed. We're on the same page here, many believed in, in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, 
for he himself knew what was in man. So many believed this, this same word that we're seeing here in John chapter 8, but Jesus is like, uh-uh, I'm not going to entrust myself to you because I know what's in your heart. True and false belief. So we have this crowd, and Jesus is going to turn to this subgroup of people, this group of people who believe in him. And he's going to tell them two things. You are slaves to your sin. You are not free. You are slaves. And secondly, your father is the devil. You know... (laughs) So when I say we can't necessarily wrap it up and put a bow on it, it's not as squeaky clean as we would like, because we really would just like Jesus to pat them on the back, say, I'm glad to have you. Come on. But Jesus will not have superficial followers who want to define him, who want to follow him on their terms, who want to follow the Jesus of their imagination. If they're going to walk with him, if they're going to follow them, if they're going to believe in him, Jesus will not have them do it in a wrong way. So he's going to expose some things. Dr. Jesus is going to come out, and he's going to point out what's wrong with their heart. Two things. First, we get a test. Look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. You see that? To the Jews who had believed in him. So I want everybody to track with me here. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, so now we're talking about those people, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Pause. True disciples hear Jesus' words and they believe them. They abide in them. They chew them. Live on them. Live in them. When Jesus speaks, they don't turn and walk away. The same thing in John 15. We'll get to it here in a while. Okay? This is the will of the Father that you will abide in me and so prove to be my disciples. Prove. You are truly my disciples if you abide in my words. If you abide in my word. So here's the test. If this group of people don't abide in Jesus' words, if they don't listen to him, if they don't like what he has to say, they're not truly his disciples. Because disciples of Jesus come to Jesus with open arms, open hands. We just say, we want to receive. What you have, that's what we'll take. We're not here to teach you some things, Jesus. We're not here for you to learn from us. We're here to learn from you. And if we don't like what you have to say, we're not going to walk away. We're not going anywhere. Because Jesus, you're our king. We follow you. So true disciples hear and abide in Jesus' word. But look down through verse 37. I want you to see this. If you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered, we are Abraham's offspring. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say, you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. 
So if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, this is fascinating to me. It's absolutely riveting. Will these people stay or will they be offended? Will we stay or will we be offended? Because Jesus' words not only brought offense to first century Jerusalem, they bring offense massively to 21st century America. The land of the, and the home of the brave. I'm so thankful to be in this country. I'm so thankful to be here. But some of the mantras that we throw, throw around are so anti-biblical that we can't even see past the forest because of the trees. We come with a pre-existing understanding of how, of how the world operates and how we function as human beings that we get offended also when Jesus speaks to us. Jesus tells them, tells this group, you are not free. You're not free. You are a slave to sin. We understand that they're under, understanding things spiritual here because they say we've never been enslaved to anybody. So they're not thinking physical here. They're understanding that Jesus is speaking to physical or spiritual realities. Because they know that they've been enslaved in the past and they know also that they are under the rule of Rome. And so they have, as a people, been enslaved before multiple times. So they know Jesus is talking to some spiritual realities here. And when Jesus says to them that you're not free, they, they go crazy. Don't tell us we're not free. Here's the truth about humanity. Humanity is not born free. Naturally, our mind, our heart, our mind and, and our heart, and therefore our will, every part of a human being is born in bondage. Every single part of a human being is born in bondage. This is highly offensive. Go out to a majority of people, even in the Christian faith, and say, hey, you know what? Before you came to Christ, you weren't free. You didn't have a free will. Now, you can make choices. I'm not going to make, I'm not, we're maybe talking about different things here. Wills, persons can make choices, consequential choices that matter. But sinners are not free, nor is their will. Their will needs to be set free. The big difference. They can make choices, as can everybody. They're consequential, causative, that matter, and that are real. But Jesus is explicitly telling a group of people, you aren't free. You're not. You're in bondage. And we don't like this today. Apart from Christ, we don't have a freed will. We have a bondaged will. We don't have a freed mind. We have a mind in bondage. We don't have a freed heart. We have a heart in bondage. The whole of our persons, nothing about a person who's unregenerate, non-born again, nothing about them is free. And one of the biggest evidences for it is how vehemently people who are in bondage will defend the fact that they're free. I don't need anything from anybody. I can do whatever I want to do. If I want to come to God, I can come to God. No, you can't. Not apart from God. 
people are born in bondage, Jesus says clearly, everyone who practices a sin, practices sin is a slave to sin. What's the only way we can be free? What's verse 36 say? So if the Son sets you free, you will be what? For people to be free, God has to do something. People in bondage can't get themselves out of bondage. Friends, humanity is in a hopeless place apart from Christ. You and I were in a hopeless place apart from Christ. We were enslaved to a master. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. The crowd responded, um, no, we're not slaves. We're free. We don't have to be set free. We're free. You have people hearing Jesus' words and they don't like it. They're just disagreeing with them. No, we're not. We've never been enslaved. Jesus is like, yeah, you have. No, we haven't. We've not been enslaved to anybody. You're wrong. Okay, who's wrong? Like I said, we kind of get the bow. And it's like, Ugh. you're a slave to sin, verse 34. Verse 35, the only way your status can be changed is if the sun sets you free. People can't free themselves. This group is trying to, by the law, trying to ask God's help to keep the law. I'm trying to set myself free, to become free. Only Jesus can do for people what they really need. So if you're a believer, if we're believers, the majority of us are in this room, it's because Jesus has done something to you. He has come to you in your deadness, in your bondage. He has taken the locks, shattered them, taken your sins and your bondage as far as the east is from the west, and he has marched you out of the prison of yourself. He has set you free. And brothers, sisters, beloved, we're here and we're in Christ. You are finally free. Your mind is free. Your heart is free. Your will is finally freed from the bondage that it was enslaved to. We are set free. But verse 37, even though your offspring's children, my, my word finds no place in you. I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus is already telling them, you'll believe in me until I start talking. Because what I'm saying, you're not tracking with. You're disagreeing with me. They don't like it. So that's the first thing. You're not free. The second thing is, your father is the devil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 39. 38, excuse me. 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Please explain, Jesus. Verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Now, let me ask you this. Up until this point, they, 
were they trying to kill Jesus? No. They believed in him. Up to this point, they weren't trying to kill Jesus. I'm wondering, like, Jesus, where are you in this conversation here? Because they believed in you. These are the ones you should go and put your arm around and kind of skip down the road with. Come on. What are you doing? But Jesus told them, yet you want to kill me. And they could respond back. I mean, if I was with them, I'd be like, no, we don't want to kill you. What are you saying? We don't want to kill you. Yet. Jesus does not want people to falsely believe in him. And he is not letting them under false pretense. No, you don't believe in me. Your father's the devil. Verse 41, it's interesting, they kind of turn the corner and they say, uh, uh, they said to him, we weren't born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And this is kind of like that, I was talking, studying with the guys this week, this is kind of an underhanded uh, slight to Jesus, saying, hey Jesus, we weren't born in, out of sexual immorality like you, because the rumors had been going around. This is Jesus? What? From God? Born of the flesh? At this point, we believe Joseph had died. And so they kind of throw a backsided comment, uh, co or a uh, backhanded comment in Jesus' way. We are not born of sexual immorality. We have God as our Father. And then from verses 42 to 47, we see five things that Jesus says explicitly. I'm just going to bust through these, and you can read through these later. But five things. In verse 42, Jesus tells the group, If you were of God, you would love me. If you were of God, you would love me. Verse 43, you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't even handle it. You are squirming as I speak truth to you. You can't bear to handle it. Verse 44, your father is the devil, and get this, your will is to do his desires. Look at that one, verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Is there anything in this world as offensive to this group of people that Jesus could have said? You're a Satan follower, and you want to do what your father wants to do. He's a murderer and a liar, and that's your will too. Verse 45, Jesus tells the truth, and they won't believe. Verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They don't want the truth. They want what they want. Verse 47, to hear the word of God, God has to do something. They are not hearing because they are of the flesh and of Satan, and they are not of God. So they're not going to hear. They cannot hear. They're refusing to hear. So what's their response going to be? Will they abide in Jesus' words? Are they going to cling to Jesus' words and believe in him and have eternal life? Or... They're going to do something else. Well, let's follow the story. The narrative continues, verse 48 down through 59. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, greater than our father Abraham who died. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? 
Jesus answered, I glorify, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see the day, see my day, that he would see it, and he see it and was glad. So Jesus, in engaging with them, their response in verse 48 is, you have a demon. They went from believing in Jesus, from looking the part, to turning to Jesus and say, you're demon-possessed. You don't have the words of life. They're disagreeing with Jesus. You have the words of death. They disagree. In verse 49 through 51, Jesus is like, nope, I keep my word. If you, if you will keep my word, you won't see death. But the crowd responds back, who do you think you are? And then Jesus says to them, and now they know he's talking about God the Father. It's my Father, in verse 54, who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Now we're talking about Yahweh, and they know it explicitly. And they can't stand it. He is telling them that God the Father, the one that you don't know, is glorifying me. The sad story concludes. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They couldn't handle it. He now explicitly declares, I'm God. I am Yahweh. I am God. And so the crowd who is eager to believe in him just at the beginning of this conversation is now doing something radically different. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So we need to put some pieces together because we don't just want to end the movie with the letdown and walk out of here. Just... Okay, is everybody on the same page here with me that, like, this is, as we get face-to-face -face with Jesus and his word, he does some unexpected things, right? He says some things that are hard to hear. So let's piece this together. Why do you, personally, why do you believe and abide in Jesus? I'm not looking for an apologetical answer here. This is for internal reflection. Why do you believe? What's the reason that you believe? And why do you abide in Jesus' words? Because we're all followers of Jesus. We're going to come to this table. We want to hear Jesus' words and respond. We don't want to run away. What is the bottom foundation, the ground floor reason that you are a Christian? Why are you a Christian? We need to remember a few things. We're not born free. We're slaves of sin. Our father was the devil. We don't naturally like Jesus' words. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Let me just read this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air. Pause. It wasn't just that crowd Jesus was talking to that was in this condition. This is the state of humanity. This is the state of humanity still. 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's contrast what Jesus said with what Paul is saying here, because there's great, great unity. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We followed the world. We followed Satan. We were all there that day listening to Jesus. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We'll just say this. If you're not in Christ, you are not a child of God. The Bible explicitly says, Jesus said over and over again, you're not a child of God. So, why do I believe and why do I abide in Jesus? What's the ground floor reason that I'm a Christian? Verse 4, but God. But God, being rich in mercy. Because of his great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming, day, coming days he might show the immeasurable richness of his kindness to those who believe. For it is by grace that have you been saved, through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we're back right to the same place in John 8. Because John in John 8, Jesus tells us, unless something happens to you, you will live your entire life in bondage and never be set free. But oh, if the Son has set you free. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. And brothers and sisters, Christ has come to us. The reason we believe, the really reason we abide in Jesus' word, the ground floor answer of why we are Christian is because Jesus has come to us and he has set us free. It's not because of us, in spite of us, but for us. God loved us and sent his son to die for us, to live and die for us. And friends, apart from the grace of God, we too would have been picking up stones to kill Jesus. But because of the grace of God, we get to abide in his word this morning and live. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And I want this morning, these words, I can't tell you, this chapter, Jesus, so often I come to your word and it just doesn't feel right and it doesn't sound right. And I have to fight, fight the temptation that comes up inside of me. I don't like what you have to say, Jesus. This morning we have an opportunity instead to step up into your words, Jesus. And acknowledge that we have been set free. That we didn't make ourselves free. That all we had was bondage to offer. 
All that we had was enslavement to offer. All that we had was selfishness and self-righteousness to offer. But God, you loved us anyways. And Jesus, you came for us and you have set us free. It's going to be joy as free. Beloved, in this room, saints and sinners, sons and daughters, servants, but kings and queens. And it's our joy to be able to sing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.